<laughs> we're live <laughs> welcome in everybody happy cinco de mayo i hope you have your margarita in hand cc let's do some uh some awesome uh um uh, mexican celebrations today and hans what's up brother happy cinco de mayo everybody very excited to have you today uh you should be drunk by the end of this if you're not drunk by the end of this you're not celebrating properly so i have my uh my clear uh margarita let's just pretend this is margarita okay we have uh, not legal advice. We have Hans. We have Mimi. We have another great conversation today. Lots of topic. Lots of topics to discuss. But first, we'll start with our weekly MMTLP update, which I skipped last time, and I'm really sorry about that. Borghand slash Richard slash everybody else slash Dark Brandon apparently with your sunglasses. That's right. Uh, go ahead and give us an update. Yeah. So uh, there's a pr things are still ongoing. Five months, no shares still open. Uh, there was another attorney who filed something in New York to try to get the, they're called the blue sheets. So the blue sheets are the electronic records of all transactions related to a particular security. From that, you can determine share count, et cetera. That is pending. Well, but what's really interesting is the White House came out against illegal uh, naked short selling in relation to the regional banks and the crisis that's going on with regard to the banks in the United States. And so the White House now is apparently on the bandwagon against illegal shorting, and that will help MMTLP, in my, my opinion. That's the, the, the quick update. I, one more thing, there, and I'm just gonna be really quick. Um, there was a lawsuit that was settled and it was referenced on Twitter this week. It was a lawsuit, a defamation lawsuit against Elon where he made some accusation that a guy almost ran over a security guard at Fremont. The lawsuit was settled for 10,000 bucks. The, the, there was an article in the LA Times that talked about it. And then there was a, on the Tesla site, it referenced that they thought the article was misleading. I then went, looked at the article, looked at the case, and I found that the, not only was the article misleading, but it omitted material elements that if you were not a lawyer, you wouldn't have not, you wouldn't have known. And wow. so what it led me to believe is there are, I'm a lawyer. It's, a, it's about a legal case, but it could be about an engineering issue. And some guy is espousing his expertise about a, a expert issue. We assume it's correct, but it may not always be correct. And in this case, what the uh, writer left out was significant. The writer claimed that if the reason why the case was settled was if the case went forward, that Elon could be responsible or that the uh, the plaintiff could be responsible for all of Elon's legal fees. Well, that was incorrect. It was only court costs. And the difference between the two is enormous. And so that was because the writer was not a lawyer and had no idea what he was doing. So in the grand scheme of things, what Elon was claiming on Twitter this week about the the false, false facts and representations in the LA Times article was correct. Well, so so would you say this is uh, their hardcore legal team going to work now and getting some wins? Is that what, what's happening? Yeah, I just think they're not letting anything pass now. And what they did here is perfect. They're going to meet every legal challenge aggressively, and it's going to discourage people from filing frivolous claims. That's what's ultimately the, and that's their str str strategy also. 
That's fantastic. Well, that, that, I think that's that's good news. I think for for investors that are uh, really have been harping on this about Tesla not doing a great job defending itself against these frivolous claims that are very easy to sort of, or not easy to fight, but are obviously could be potentially damaging, uh, especially when it comes to the reputation of the company and say the 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 regular public who follows this stuff loosely. It seems like they've they've taken some legitimate steps to alleviate some of those issues. So. Yeah. yeah, I think I think most important it it takes away from Elon's time. You know, mm. he ends up stuck being in a deposition or in a trial. That's better time spent working on SpaceX or the new Model Two. Yeah, no, that's that's a great update. Thank you very much. I appreciate you for for that update. As always, uh, make sure you follow uh, the channel. Not legal advice. Can people can people find you on YouTube, Richard? Is that where they should find you? Yeah, they can with a K-N-O-T legal <laughs> advice. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. And shout out producer wife for bringing the hat. I didn't even know we had this. So this is great. I, I This took me by surprise. Fantastic. So let's kick off uh, with the first topic of the day, uh, which is the title of this video. We just had some news out of China for Tesla. One of the biggest things about um, that, that's been happening here in the last uh, quarter or so, especially related to some of the price drops that Tesla has done globally, there's been a, a lot of concern around Tesla's demand and that, you know, these price cuts potentially wouldn't be helpful in drumming up demand and that Tesla was going backwards, not forwards. We just had some uh, breaking news this morning from Sawyer Merritt, friend of the show, uh, one of the the dude that never sleeps is what I call him. News, Tesla's Giga Shanghai, which is in China, factory had its best first month of a quarter ever with 75,800 cars sold wholesale. Additionally, latest Tesla insurance data from China shows sales of 41,000 in April. This is also a new best first month of the quarter ever. And if you scroll down a little bit for me, producer wife, if you don't mind, thank you very much. Tesla China, uh, what was what's what is saying up there? Tesla China sales are on pace for a new quarterly record. So let's go ahead and click on that chart from Roland Percher as well, if you don't mind. Thank you very much. So the way to read this is you have the green is the first month of a quarter, the yellow is the second month of a quarter, and then the red is the third month of the quarter. And you can see Tesla sales in China. So these are domestic sales in China by month by quarter. And you can see all the way to the right, 2023 second quarter. Uh, that's the best first month out of China in history, and it's uh, theoretically should also be in track for the best second quarter, given that April has really good sales. Um, Richard, Hans, Mimi, Mimi, well, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on these numbers so far? Any added commentary? Uh, let us know what's on, in your mind. Well, it's uh, good. I'm happy to see it, um, and I hope that it will continue. It shows that the Price cuts are helping, I guess, and uh, the people still have some people still have money to buy a Tesla. So I'm anxious to see the next two months. Could okay. be really good. Hans, uh oh, <laughs> he's like me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when my shortcuts don't work because I had clicked on a different window. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. I think that. It's too early to know. Like people, you know, we've heard that Tesla's trying to unwind the delivery wave. And it's easy for people who don't understand what a delivery wave is to think delivery wave unwound, magic. And that's not how these things work at all. And so this to me signals yes, we're continuing to unwind the delivery wave somewhat. Um, and then we'll only know if this is a good sign for 
quarterly output once the quarter is done. And really, even quarterly output is segmented a little bit too far to be meaningful. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't have my panties in a wad either way. Okay. Richard? My panties are in a wad. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. It's interesting. We won't really know, I think, until we see the quarter, the, the portion of the quarter where they deliver more to Europe to see if the European numbers hold up. The European numbers hold up, then I think that's suggesting that those price cuts they put in in the first quarter are now being fully realized in the second quarter, and we should see continuing demand. What I was going to say is what's interesting is China's economy is still slow, too. They're not like they're not running at full bore. So at some point in time, that economy is going to shift just like the economy in the United States will shift at some point, And Europe will also. And uh, demand should should be jacked up. And obviously, that's the point where margins will reemerge at a higher rate, too, I would think. Yeah. There is uh, also an interesting trend in the U.S. as well. Uh, if you could pull up the second link, producer wife, with the uh, the listings in the U.S. from Mad Jung, which is that second link. Thank you very much. Uh, ba -ba -da -da, here we go. Perfect. So scroll up a little bit and show the title for us, if you don't mind, so folks are up to speed. So these are new Model Y inventory levels in the United States. It's called inventory, but the way we should think about this is the number of new car listings in the United States for Model Y. It's sort of like a directionally correct way of thinking about what Tesla's inventory is doing in the US. Is it going up or is it going down? This is for Model Y. You can see that that's ever since, what is that, April 18th, April 20th-ish, uh, Tesla Model Y inventory in the US has come down dramatically, all the way down to uh, 100 listings uh, for new Model Ys in the US. Go ahead and uh, let's look at Model 3 as well. I haven't looked at Model 3, but I'm curious to see what it's doing. So if you go to United States there on the top right corner and click on that sucker and then go to a new and existing inventory, Model 3. Perfect. Thank you. So Model 3 inventory Ooh. is up uh, or it's directionally up based on the new listings on the website. What's interesting about this one is uh, Tesla unveiled the or, or re uh, reinstituted the Model 3 long-range uh, vehicle in its lineup, uh, which went live, I think, two to three days ago, if I remember correctly. And it's priced at about $47,000 start price. And after the tax credit, is actually a 1000 bucks more expensive than the Model Y long-range with the $7,500 tax credit, because that one gets a higher tax credit. So the Model 3 uh, listings are up in the US. And then if you scroll up again and you click on Europe for me, producer wife on the top right corner. Uh, so this is model three and Y inventory, uh, all countries in Europe. You can see Europe, Europe is, is a strange one because it does seem like they batch a lot of the inventory and it's sort of they draw it down and then they batch it and then they draw it down, uh, which is a little bit of a different strategy from the other countries. But this is for model three and Y uh, combined. If you do model Y on the top section there, producer wife, where it says European charts, all countries combined, model three. Can you click on model Y for me? See my model Y. So it's a similar trend in Europe as well. So this is the key one that we talked about after China. This one's going to be interesting to see how they perform. The sales data, I think, is going to be more helpful to understand what's going on uh, uh, versus how much they're they're sort of putting in, in lots. I mean, it's also important to kind of keep track of inventory or this proxy for inventory. But any thoughts from the panel here on these uh, data sets around Model 3 and Y in the States and Europe? 
I'm wondering when they're starting to ship the cars to uh, Canada from China, because there's going to mm. be shift because uh, Giga Berlin, they're starting to make the Model Y some new model anyway. So they won't have those coming from China anymore and they will be going to the to Canada instead. I don't know how the markets compare, but I imagine that Canada would be smaller than Europe. Um, yeah. Just Looks thinking like... about the... No, it's okay. Go on. Go ahead, Richard. Oh. Looks like to me they could <laughs> sell over 2 million Model Ys this year, to be honest. And uh, if they wanted to. And I wonder, you know, now because there's... It's there's a little it's a little vague as to the compact, right? We know that the plan in Mexico is going to make the compact. We don't we we don't know where it's going to be sold. That's that's kind of a, a a message out there. We know it's going to be significantly less than the Model Three, um, and we know that the Model Y price really dropped significantly. So it's a much, in my opinion, it's a better value than the Model Three, at what you get. So I wonder. You know, we talk, talked about it, the Osborne effect. Everybody knows it's coming. They don't know precisely when, but sometime in 2024. And if you have like a two-year horizon on buying a car, then I, I don't know if you're going to buy a Model 3. Maybe you're going to wait to see if the Model 2 is available, and then you'll maybe buy the Y or the 3. But I, yeah, think, I, I think it might be too close in time, and maybe that's what we're seeing as to the Model 3 sales. We talked about that last week, the Model 3, where what's going to happen with it, because it's getting pushed from Model Y and later on from the compact. Yeah, yeah. Hans, any thoughts? I'll just re-bring up the fact that, you know, we could have some inventory stacking to prepare for a Highland line update. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to say. I know that the S and the X refreshes were very messy and the three is a much higher volume vehicle than either of those and so in order for that not to turn into a hugely um, impactful financial catastrophe they have to handle the three highland update better than the s and the x refreshes were handled so um yeah i, I don't know exactly how that's going to look to us from the outside but it's something that we just need to kind of keep in the back of our minds the other thing I was going to say, and I forgot to mention it, the thing that's also that's the the factor we have no control over is the macro. So I don't mm -hmm. know if like the economy was great, would we be selling a bunch more threes? Probably. And maybe we wouldn't be having this discussion. And maybe a, two years from now, the economy is great and they're going to sell whatever they make in terms of whatever models. And we, we just don't know. Yeah. Cool. So that's some news around China, Europe, uh, and uh, the United States for the Model Y. Great numbers out of China for Tesla specifically. But uh, yeah, Richard, I'll let you take the next topic. You've been missing for a while. We banished you uh, for, for three weeks, but now you're back. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. What, uh, what, what do you want to cover? What are some topics you want to hit? I want to talk about my banishment for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do uh, it. <laughs> What I uh, I saw like uh, uh, Arc Invest had a model for a Tesla valuation, and in the model they had two models in in their model 
they also had two new vehicle models. One was called like a neighborhood vehicle, and that was the cost of that was going to be fifteen thousand dollars, and that they said would be for countries like India, that kind of marketplace. And then they had one model below that that was a seven thousand dollar model, which sounded like a really really fancy golf cart or something similar. And I, I think that was more for maybe your your own homeowners association. So if you have like uh, you, you're going to the clubhouse or something like that, you might have a cart. But they factor that into the valuation. At, so they in their model, that's what they're predicting will come out. I found that really interesting. And I don't know if anybody else has heard about that or got a chance to, to take a look at that because we have such an erudite panel here. So I do want to hear from them. Anybody want to go first? I have some thoughts, but yeah. I would say go for it. This erudite person has been uh, elbows deep in a shed remodel for the past week. So, <laughs> Mimi, do you have any thoughts on? I know we briefly spoke about the these types of cars, but yeah. I, I'm just I'm just thinking. I, I think that the India car makes a lot of sense. Uh, those are huge markets, but the smaller ones. If I think about the mission, how big a problem is uh, those? I mean. Do we really need to replace them? How many cars are we talking about? Um, it seems like something you drive around for fun. I think I those are actually a huge part of the market and an extremely port, important part of the uh, market for the mission overall. But I also think that there are little tiny companies in China that are already fulfilling that demand and will expand to other markets. Like I don't see it necessarily needing to be something that is addressed by... Tesla specifically, and I would just say that that was my initial impression to what you're you were sharing with us, Richard from Arc, is that those are probably great predictions on products that will be made. I don't know that they are great predictions as far as who will make them. Well, I was thinking like the smaller ones could be just delivery vehicles, and there's versions of that that exist now, but they don't have full self driving, and so maybe you could it would be you know basically if every car on the road is a Tesla, then FSD is a, a no-brainer. I mean, everybody's communicating with, with the, each other. So the more Teslas in the marketplace, I think the more likely FSD is to be a dominant force. So to me, the more vehicles they can get out there, the better. And that's kind of why I like the strategy of selling even a lower margin. Get the cars on the, on the road. Because once FSD is there, if you have the a large number of vehicles, it kind of like supports each other. So I'm for more vehicles on the mar on the road and more intelligence. There is a link um, that producer West is going to bring up here. It's from Torque News, but it covers the, uh, the ARC Invest article or the model that they put out. Uh, so Tesla will build a micromobility EV for $7,000 is the is the headline. And this is based on ARK Invest forecast for 2027. ARK Invest is uh, uh, forecasting. None of this is investment advice. We're just reporting the news, FYI. Uh, share price of $1,400 with a KGAR, which is a compounded annual growth rate of 50% on the business, gross margins of 40% maximum, and then a bunch of other numbers. They think the RoboTaxi, which is Tesla self-driving fleet, will be launched in 2025. And they think each robo taxi will do about 110,000 miles per year. And the average sell price per vehicle will be 33,000. If you scroll down a little bit more uh, to the next section of the uh, article, they have the uh, perfect. 
And so Tesla's future is going to largely be determined by these vehicles ordered by average selling price. Again, this is uh, per ARK Invest. They think the Cybertruck will, will start at around 50,000 or average around 55,000. Model Y will be 53,000, which seems high. Model 3 will be 40,000, which seems high to me again. Compact will be 25. Then they have a neighborhood EV for 15,000 and a 7,000 micromobility EV, which would be the ones that ARC thinks they'll target towards those markets. Um, from my standpoint, the one thing that Mimi brought up before we went live, uh, which, which really resonated with me, is that those, um, you know, I could definitely see a world where Tesla might get into those vehicles long, long term. But I think safety is going to have to be by far it's it's sort of um, it, the biggest variable for them to be able to execute on this. You know, one, one of the questions that was brought up uh, specifically towards Elon Musk around motorcycles, you know, like folks would say, are you going to build a motorcycle? And then Elon Musk would say no, because it's, they're not safe. Right. Uh, a lot of these micro EVs um, are, are or, you know, these very small cars. What are the cars called in India or like those regions that are very small? It starts with an R. Right. It's what, what's the name of this little thing? Rickshaw or rickshaw. rickshaw? Yeah, oh. that's right. Yeah, a rickshaw. It's hard, hardly um, a car. Yeah, but almost. Yes. Yeah. Completely uh, can, dangerous. <laughs> yes. If if you could pull up a picture of one of those uh, producer wife, a rickshaw, so people can 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 see what it looks like. If that's the sort of market that Tesla's going to look to enter, that thing better not crash <laughs> ever. <laughs> Otherwise, you're really uh, going to start becoming. Um, you know, you're going to that sort of, sort of safety thing that the company was really proud of is going to be impacted. Now, um, that might be the only form of transport. Go ahead. Yeah. In California, they call that a Bob, by the way, not a rickshaw. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Just okay. Let you know. okay. <laughs> great. Great jokes. Great jokes, Rick. Uh, how India's electric rickshaw revolution. And that's, that's what it looks like. It's basically like a like a bicycle wagon almost. Uh, kind of cool looking, honestly. So this could be, you know, some sort of form factor that's similar. Now, there could be a, a world where if uh, a company like Tesla can perfect its uh, self-driving software so that these things never crash uh, and they have a form factor that's significantly safer than that, I'm sure that make, it can make it a little bit safer and then increase the top or decrease the top speed so it doesn't go over certain speeds and it's uh, specific to certain markets. Then maybe they can do this, but um, I'm just curious. I'm just curious where that would reside in their overall plan. You know, after the compact car, after the Cybertruck, after the van, so on and so forth. Maybe right, those are the kind they'll partner with the local company. So maybe they'll say we're going to do it according to the. You know, we'll set up a plant. We'll do it according to us, but we'll let local labor because it doesn't look like that would be the most complicated product to put together. You know, it would be, you know, whenever whenever you figure it out, it looks like it could be done fairly simply. And so maybe you're going to do it domestically in India. You're going to use a local India company to be the manufacturing arm. And that way, Tesla will be able to expand the total production vehicles without really wasting resources. Go ahead, Hans. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think that in the class of, you know, how these things are understood currently a neighborhood ev would be something more like the rickshaw size and micro mobility like when you talk about a micro mobility startup well what are those they're usually the little e-scooters or e-bikes that you can rent um, and so i don't know if arc is saying when they're looking at a micro mobility ev if they're looking at you know anything from 
you know, all the way down to a little scooter or a bicycle or like a one wheel. Um, if that's what they have in mind for $7,000 or, I mean, obviously if Tesla's going to do it, it has to be radically safer than existing alternatives. So it's going to be probably more than a scooter, but um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like an area that currently Tesla has made any sort of signal that that's in their plans to encompass. Maybe any thoughts? I agree. I, I don't see how, how, I mean, even if you have FSD, and you have a small car or whatever we should call it. I mean, there is absolutely no room for a deformation zone. Uh, if you if you're in that car, there will be bigger cars, buses that don't have FSD. And if you're hit by the your toast, uh, yeah. I don't see how they can make they can probably make them a lot safer than they are today, but safe enough to be called a Tesla. Mm, I doubt it. Yeah, yeah, but, that, you know, I, I have a point of contention about that. Tesla's held to the standard that it has to be 100% safe, but that's not realistic. There's going to be accidents no matter what. It just happens that when a Tesla crashes or a Tesla catches on fire, it is always publicized, always. And it gives you a false sense of the numbers because the frequency of accidents and fires is tiny. So I don't think they have to be perfect. I really don't. I think they have to be able to demonstrate that they're safe. And they can do that numerically. But I think we kind of, it's just like, you know, we do with earnings. We have these expectations. I think uh, Alexandra says this. They don't adjust during the quarter. So they set the expectations high, unlike other companies. And if they don't it really exceed, then the stock gets hammered. Um, so I think that's just another example of that. It's it we don't require perfection, because we almost kind of set ourselves up for disappointment and to be judged at a higher level. Mm. Go ahead. I will go back on what I said. Uh, the cyber quad is technically probably a micro mobility EV. So Tesla <laughs> has said that they're going to make one. <laughs> the little uh, ATV thing. Uh, I think. Um... You know, I I wondered, like, do you think the compact car could could just be that solution for those uh, regions where like a rickshaw is a primary form of transport? Maybe the compact car is affordable enough. They can come up with maybe uh, financing options for folks in those regions that allow them to purchase that. You know, if it's not that much larger from a footprint perspective, uh it might just be a question of cost. So why not just make more compact cars, right? Is that even a possible think, scenario? Well, I, I think, think RoboTaxi kind of subsumes that market because even, even there, you know, with the rickshaw, eventually your labor cost to operate the rickshaw becomes the largest portion of your overall cost of service. And so if you have a RoboTaxi that is robust enough to operate in that environment, then you might be able to offer a robo taxi service in a full size compact car. Um, I say full size, yeah, like a compact car, which is much bigger, obviously, than a rickshaw, uh, at a price that is actually at least on par, if not cheaper than. Like, if you could pay to get into a non air conditioned rickshaw with a smelly driver or a compact car where you're inside and it's air conditioned and you don't have anybody that you're sharing the space with and they're the same price, what are you going to choose? 
So, um, yeah, I think that those are both like that market segment can be served without necessarily having to make a vehicle that small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, cu I'm curious to see how that plays out. I think the, you know, I think there is a very obvious, uh, I guess, um, path for a company like Tesla to get to say 10 million cars per year, just with the cyber truck, the compact car, the van, the model three and the Y like 10, 10 million should be, I mean, it's just a piece of cake to be completely honest, uh, between 10 and 20, it becomes a question of, okay, are, are they just going to make compact just such a no brainer proposition for 80, 85% of the world's population that can afford some sort of transportation or will they actually have to go and get creative with the type of sort of, uh, uh, segments that they, uh, build, which are not traditional sort of, you know, two plus two seater, uh, car form factors. And they start getting into that, uh, other type of, uh, transportation system. Yeah. It may be the I case mean, they sell like 8 million of those $15,000 cars, right? Yeah. Sure. And that's how they do their 20. And maybe that's the plan. Maybe that is the plan. We we wouldn't know. I think the Tesla story is really bifurcating at this point. Either you believe in FSD or you don't. If you do, then the strategy makes sense. The 20 million makes more than enough sense. Like it doesn't matter if the Model 3 was the only car that they could make. If it had FSD, it would sell 20 million units if there's no other competitor to FSD in the market. Um, or if they can't make FSD work and they have to just compete as an auto company, which a lot of people are trying to value them as, then it's not worth the price even that it trades at today. So, you know, really, I think that people who are looking at the story and trying to decide how they feel about their investment, you need to do the research for yourself to decide what you think the value of a couple of things, FSD being primary, but also the energy business, um, Optimus, and like you can look at Gen 3, but I think comparatively Gen 3, like it's a big deal to the people who are looking at Tesla as an auto company. But, you know, if I just wanted to invest in Tesla because it was the best auto company, honestly, it would not be that compelling. The reason to continue to be invested in this company, if you're a long-term thinker, is because you are you believe that they're going to hit on at least one, if not multiple, of FSD, huge Tesla energy, and then the icing on the cake, the Optimus the bot. bot. Yeah. Those are good calls. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts around uh, this discussion? ARK Invest, lower price vehicles. Going once. I agree twice. with I agree with Hans, and they should do a uh, a charity across the country called Hans Across America. I believe. <laughs> I'm just it, thinking it, about it, how many superchargers they will have to build when they when they build 20 million cars. Especially if they're robo taxis and they need to be charged five times as many times during the day as yes. they do now. Mm. And we're talking all over the world. You know what's interesting? I was, I was listening to a, 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 it wasn't even a podcast. It was some radio broadcast involving some gentleman involved with Mullen Automotive. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Some that small name. company that, that's in the EV business tangentially. 
and it's in the battery side of things mostly. And the guy has no, he was, so he's talking about that. And he spent like 10 minutes uh, doing props to Tesla co constantly, even though it wasn't even the subject matter, talking about battery technology and the cars, et cetera. And that was pretty interesting because it was somebody in industry, but had no real ax to grind either way. It was interesting to, to hear him that. One thing I wanted to mention is, is as far as I night spoke before uh, we started, was there's a stimulus that nobody is really talking about that's set to kick in in 2024. And that stimulus is that the point of sale EV tax credit. So now you get it at the end of the year when you can take the credit on your taxes to the extent you can take the credit and you have that tax liability. Starting in 2024, when you go buy your car, that comes right off the top. So one, your price is going to be discounted right off the top. And to the extent you have to finance that vehicle, you're financing a substantially uh, different amount. And uh, that's going to make demand. It's going to be another demand lever. It will uh, improve sales. Um, but I'm interested to see Han's take on it. <laughs> well, I was just going to let you know that Hans Across America was in May of 1986. My birthday is February of 1987. So, anyways, just let you do with nice. that what you will. There you go. <laughs> he's got. He, he's beat you, Richard. I want to do. I want to do a quick, uh, <laughs> a quick mathematical exercise because I think this is sort of where uh, the does this what... mathematical exercise involve calculating the length of a pregnancy? <laughs> no. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it doesn't. It's it's a car loan. <laughs> okay, which one's more expensive? I don't know. So vehicle price. So th this is if we look at a Model Y today. The Model Y starts at four, uh, forty six uh, nine uh, nine hundred. So if we just let's assume a zero down payment, zero trading value, credit score of good, and a loan term. What should I pick? Se is 72, 60 months? Seventy two months. Seventy two. Is that okay? Is that kind 72. of kind of the norm now? So a 46.9 Tesla Model Y right now, if you wanted to purchase it, is a monthly payment of 847 bucks at 9% APR <laughs> on, a, on a new car, which is nuts. Let's go to Excellent. Let's see what that does. 6.85. By the way, I saw in Germany they were offering 2.99. Sweden. Yeah, I saw that too. Two. Yeah. So figure out when you finish, try to 2.99 see what happens. Because that, uh, that, eventually, that eventually will come to the United States too, my, I believe. I need a uh, I need something where I can type in the there we go. Okay. So it's 469 for 72 months at an interest. So let's let's start with uh what's a new car average right now? Like seven percent or something? Six percent? Six point five? Six point five, zero cash incentive, zero dollar down payment, no trade in value, no amount owed in certain Texas, sales tax. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So 788 bucks for 46.9. Now after the the EV tax credit being baked in, it's what 39.4, right? 39.4. Your new payment is 6.62. So it's it's a significant savings uh, off off the lot uh, off the sort of off the thing. So uh, try it, go ahead, Richard. Try it three percent. Three percent. So and this will be like what we're estimating to be Tesla's financing arm, right? They'll be able to come out and say, hey. We'll give you a seventy-two month loan. We'll bake in the the tax credit, and we'll give you a very competitive interest rate because we know how valuable our cars are. So yeah, five ninety-eight. 
So let, let's do that difference, right? So if you if you were to buy a Tesla today and drive it off the lot, your monthly payment without the tax credit you get at the end of the year would be roughly, so 6.5% at regular would be 788. And then if Tesla were to introduce its own uh, financing division, and once they start including the uh, uh, t- the tax break, the federal EV tax credit into the the point of sale, it goes from 788 to 598. So it saves you 200 bucks mm-hmm. a month. Uh, with and nothing changes really. Well, I mean, the only thing that changes is that Tesla gives you a loan for three percent. And in some, uh, and the tax in some states, yeah. you're also going to get another mm-hmm. EV credit on top of that. That I don't know if that's you true. Take, I don't know if the, I think those are not point of sale. I don't think but, so. But it's certainly a further discount off the price. Yeah. Go ahead, Hans. I was going to say, I think when the when Tesla rolls out their own financing arm, there will be a nice little fine print in there that says, this is a self-repossessing car. You have been warned. <laughs> That's a good point. It will drive itself back to the lot. Uh, it's 36 <laughs> months, so you can't change that if you want to buy a Tesla with 2.99. Oh, it's a three-year loan. Third, yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's do so let's assume it's the same kind of loan and it's 39.5 at 6.5. So it goes from 788 to 663. So it'll be about $120 savings on say a, a brand new Model Y real wheel drive in the states. Now the the one that I think is going to be pretty eye opening is going to be the compact car, sort of Tesla's cheaper vehicle that they'll be un- unveiling here hopefully in the next couple of years. If we do the same exact math right now, uh it would be 420 bucks without the EV tax credit at point of sale. But once uh, you can do that, so 25 less 7,500 is what? 17,500, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 17,500. Uh, it goes from 420 to 294. And that that's, that's I think, this is the one, this is the one that really breaks everything yeah. as it pertains to new car ownership is the point of sale EV tax credit in the States is going to allow you to get a $294 monthly payment on a brand new Tesla at zero down at 6.5 interest, 72 months. That's that's less that's than a quite most a, people driving a Tahoe paying gas every month. It's wild, absolutely, <laughs> completely wild. Um, any thoughts? I, I I want to make sure I don't hog too much here. Any thoughts around this? You're Maybe you're really right. hogging. You're really hogging. Sorry, but, uh, my apologies. Uh, it's the hat. Not only that, you can still Tesla can monitor the condition. They have, you know, they not only can they just monitor the functionality of the vehicle, but they have the cameras to monitor the actual physical interior condition. So probably you can put it as a condition, a future condition of uh, any lease or any contract is if someone doesn't keep the vehicle in good stead, they could just repossess it as uh, Hans wants to do it. In fact, Hans could be the one repossessing it. I think that would be an interesting gig for Hans. Um, but it will keep the value of the vehicles. I mean, it'll keep the values from de- depreciating. It'll let them last way beyond. Because I know uh, some of the um, lenders are doing 10-year loans on the Teslas now so because of their longevity. So, And if you sell that multiple times, especially if Tesla can resell the same vehicle multiple times, I don't know where that profit is factored into the modeling of the value of Tesla. Hmm. Any any thoughts around that? 
You're talking about you're talking about the sorry. Is this the, mm-hmm. I, I, go ahead, Hans? Sorry, let me turn around. I was going to say we we did actually have this exact discussion um, in the episode on my channel the other day about potentially offering ten year loans at that four hundred. Really, it's that four hundred dollar a month price point where most people who are payment buyers they really need to try and you know it, that is like the sweet spot of you could sell just about as many cars as you can get on the lot. Um, because almost every person, when they come in, they're trying to get the most car they can possibly get for the least money per month possible. And those 10 year loans, especially if you have a low APR, um, they really open up a lot. And then, you know, obviously you can bundle in insurance and other things to help someone. Maybe it's not $400 a month with insurance, but you can help someone just reduce their overall monthly outlay for their total transportation costs significantly. And it just makes complete economic sense to shift in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Weird times ahead when it comes to car ownership and the affordability of a lot of this stuff. Any other thoughts around this before we move on to our next topic from Mimi? It's going Going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard for ICE to compete when we get down to those levels. Yeah, for sure. The, you know, before we move on, I, I really think, maybe I'll throw this out there. I really think that the trend we're going towards is that the affordable vehicles are going to be electric vehicles and the uh, gas cars are going to be relegated to high-priced, super luxury, super niche stuff until those cars get phased out over, over time. I think that's starting to play out already. Listening to Ford's earnings call, so that's kind of the vibe I was getting from Ford was, you know, they made a comment around growing their EV, not at all costs, but really being profitable and growing at the same time, but being very strategic. What I heard is we're going to be, we're going to did what we're going to do what Tesla did 10 years ago, which is come out with a, with a Model S-like car so we can actually make some damn profit on it. And then hopefully over time we'll go mass market. But for, Jim Farley was very open in saying that the, the two plus two, like, like, the, like the two row EV segment was going to be overcrowded and we don't necessarily want to play in that. And so that to me says, okay, so you're just going to, uh, you're going to lower your units and try to increase your profitability with less units. Um, I don't know. Go ahead, Hans. I saw you came off mute. Yeah, I, anyone, this is really the audience that they probably are exposed to the innovators dilemma. But if you haven't read it, go read it. You need to listen to what Clayton Christensen has to say there. It, it is just classic innovators dilemma. And they are retreating up market, just say like, we're listening to our customers. This is what they want. We've got to figure out how to provide them with a product that we can make it a profit that they like. And so this is where we're going. Yeah. And it's just like the slow spiral of death. And so have fun. Yeah. Wild stuff. And meanwhile, GM is up. No, I just got a price alert that GM is up 5%. Wow, Mary, Mary Barra. Yes, she's still leading. Mary Barra, shout out to Mary Barra for making the stock go up 5%. And Tesla's up 5.5% just to keep the... the Thank you, Mary, for making Tesla and GM go up at the same time. Amazing. You know, the the (laughs) one thing that we omitted, which kind of came out this uh, week, was the UAW kind of uh, pressing back against uh, EVs. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah right. we're getting to that, I hope. Yeah, 
So yeah, yeah. Do you guys want to hit sign. that? I was going to throw it to Mimi, but maybe do you want to? Are you comfortable hitting but, that next, Mimi, or should you want to do yours? I don't have any. I oh, don't you don't have, have any. Topic. All right, let's do it. No? Go ahead. Have, that advice. is my topic. Yeah. Okay, let's make it. Go for it. Go should ahead, I start? No, oh, Richard, you, start you should start. No, Richard was was starting. I, no, on. you got to rock paper scissors. You got to do start. it. <laughs> you can start. Feel free. I prefer the Northern yeah. Europe to start. <laughs> okay okay well i was going to be the devil's advocate here because i'm from sweden and we love unions and everybody belongs to one uh so i started reading a lot uh today about uh about uaw but no oh, yes um but i read some th things that were horrendous i can't I, I can't understand how it's allowed it would never be allowed in sweden uh, but from what i said what i saw is that they were, they were talking about um, wages, that they're paying lower wages for new uh, battery, like GM. They're starting a battery factory in Ohio, and they're paying half, sixteen fifty an hour, and they paid the double amount at a car plant nearby, which they closed in two thousand nineteen. So I could see that. I could see. I mean, I can understand that argument. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that they are for the environment and uh, not against EVs, but but they also want people who work in the ice sections be be offered the jobs in the EV section, which I don't think it's all that obvious mm -hmm. that it should be like that. Um, but I don't know. They they have four hundred thousand members. Largest, it's I think, one they, of the largest unions in the United States. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. and too much power. A lot of power. So can you help us silly Americans understand what is the difference between unions as y'all conceive of them and how they work there in Sweden or other parts of Europe and what you see when you look at the UAW? I think the big difference is that, well, we don't have the whole part with corruption which I know a lot of unions have had a lot of problems with. Uh, I think the unions have just been such a natural part of society. If you start working somewhere, you belong to a union. It's it, everyone expects you to. It's nothing strange with that. And then they negotiate when it's it's uh, time for for new salaries to be set. And and nowadays you can negotiate yourself if you want to. And um, they are one side of the of the negotiations and all the CEOs, they have their own union. That is the counterpart in negotiations for like industry and uh, like um, shops and whatever you call it. It's, it's, it's nothing strong, it's nothing strange and there is no animosity between the, my father had a company and uh, okay, he could, complain about the union sometimes, but they work together for the best of the company. But like I read somewhere here that if it was Stellantis that that they put a, a plant on hold somewhere and uh, now they are really upset about that, but they are not allowed to close a plant because that's in their deal with the union. That sounds completely absurd. I mean, that would never be the case in Sweden. The unions can't dis have a deal like that that you can't close if you're do if it a factory is doing badly you close it mm -hmm. yes yeah, so, so the i'm sorry hans 
So the bigger issue in the United States is that the political funding, uh, they, I think the UAW might be the largest political funder of the presidential campaigns. And they yes. probably fund both sides, although they probably fund the Democrats a lot more than the Republicans, because that's just kind of how yeah, it they flows. Do. But that makes them a real force. And uh, I know they just threatened Biden. Uh, what was that? Within the past week, they threatened to yeah. with withhold support just for that. So that's somebody who would be theoretically aligned with their interest, um, but they're still threatening that. And ultimately, you're right. They want to guarantee their jobs at the same kind of compensation. And ultimately, I, I think you could do it, but they'd have to be willing to shift industries and shift careers. I think you could place them yeah. and train people and teach them new things, and they could make more money, but they'd have to be willing to do that. And I think that can be done. It's just that in the United States, it hasn't been done to this point in time. I think that I think that a big, the big problem is the lobbying system. I mean, we don't have that. You you can't pay politicians. We don't even have. Well, if I want to, I can dot you get a list when you go to the election for the parliament. And if I want to, I can check one of the candidates if I like him or her better but i mean there are no person you'd never vote for a person you only vote for parties and you can't there's no such thing i mean you you can't how many parties pressure. do you have uh in the parliament right now we have eight or nine mm. to, to a little bit too many but i mean there are no there are no uh contributions involved got it hans go ahead I can't remember what I was going to ask. It was just a question. Okay. Yeah. Part, yeah. part of the problem is in the United States is the First Amendment. In this case, it kind of prohibits restrictions on political speech, too. So a lot of stuff that's done in the guise of political speech, including giving money, is protected. And it's that's certainly a negative. We that you Obviously, it's a negative. We see it. That was Citizens United, right? Is that is that what it was? Yeah. So like basic. That's why the super PACs exist is because of of that ruling. Okay. Uh, for those that are not uh, familiar, super PACs, Richard, correct me if I'm wrong. They're basically uh, a uh, wholly independent organization that can uh, has unlimited uh, uh, funding. Uh, they they can fund as much as they want themselves, but they cannot be associated directly with a party. But they can fundraise and uh, support a candidate independently. Is that did I describe that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Clo close enough. And, uh, and the other problem is if a candidate raises money and they don't spend the money, they get to keep the money. So it encourages what? them. Yes, absolutely. So it encourages them to get as much money as possible because ultimately it's for their personal benefit or can be. Wow. Hold on. Hang on. Oh, time out. So this is a super PAC or the, or the, or the no. person that's running? No, no this is candidate. like if I, if I ran for governor of, of – uh, if I ran for senator of California and I raised $24 million and I spent $12 million, I get to keep the $12 million and decide how I want to spend it. Can you it see the dollars sticking now in Farsat Spring? Yeah, Farsat. Oh, maybe I should run for, for I would like to announce my – <laughs> I am running for senator of Texas. Uh, please vote for me immediately. 
Are you serious? They, they really can do that. Wow, yeah. that's completely bananas to me. You know, just yes. like you know, inside they can insider trade and all that kind of stuff, and and be you know protected. Sounds yeah. like being a politician is a great gig in the United States. Well, it's kind oh. of. I think the problem is that they. My belief always is they should pay the politicians a lot more, and they should make the penalties for violations a lot more. So I wouldn't mm. mind paying some senator a half a million bucks a year, but if I see it takes a dollar. He's going to prison for 20 years. I don't mind yeah. that. Seems reasonable. Hans, did you remember what you were going to ask? Uh, I was just going to ask. So basically a super PAC is like a uh, a booster club on steroids for politics. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You're like, it's like a Texas high school football. <laughs> it's a religion down here i'll tell you that much some good football though an SSD booster club <laughs> go ahead and uh pull up this tweet producer wife that's uh, related directly to what we're talking about here with the uaw so um this is from uh, again sawyer Merritt, the man that never sleeps united auto workers uaw president sean fain which i believe is being replaced this year by a different gentleman i think they voted for a new president i think i could be wrong do do uh, check me in the comments if you don't mind. Is Set, it even uh, you guy that was elected last year? I don't think. I think this. I think it's a new guy. I think. I think it's okay. a. It's an African American gentleman, I believe, if if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, President right. Sean Fain, I, I think. Uh, President Sean Fain said that Detroit-based union is not yet endorsing President Joe Biden for a second term, citing concerns about electric vehicle policies. Go ahead and click into the article real quick. I covered this uh, on my video yesterday, but in case you haven't watched it, uh, I'll read you part of the um, of the message here. So uh, in a letter to members, uh, yes, perfect. In a letter to members seen by Reuters on Wednesday, Fain noted several national unions were quick to endorse Biden but the UAW is not yet doing so. The federal government is pouring billions into electric vehicle transition with no strings attached and no commitment to workers. The EV transition is at serious risk of becoming a race to the bottom. We want to see national leadership have our back on this before we make any commitments. And so my takeaway from this, and I'd love to hear the panels, is that the UAW clearly understands how electrification is going to remove a lot of labor out of the factories because it's a much less complex system, which means less labor, which means less dues for the for the union. And they need some sort of um, guarantee or uh, something from the government that says, we got your back. We got like, you. You'll, you'll be fine. Leadership. You'll make your money. Your workers will be safe. But that could mean much higher costs for automakers in a world where you have a player like Tesla who doesn't have a union and they're fanatics about reducing costs as much as humanly possible, which puts every single automaker with a union in the States at a disadvantage, which in this case is every single one of them. GM, Ford and Stellantis, all three of them uh, have the UAW as the uh, union to run their factory labor force. Go ahead, uh, Hans or Mimi or Richard, if you have any comments. I was just going to say, um, I know that you're not going to bring it up, but he keeps referencing Sawyer Merritt. And for anyone who's watching this who has not seen Farzad's excellent interview with Sawyer that <laughs> dropped this past week, go do that uh, after you're done Thank watching you. this video and liking and subscribing and all the good things, of course. Thanks, bro. What's your channel, bro? You have a YouTube channel, too. Go ahead. Plug yours. Hurry up. 
Oh, <laughs> he's shy. He, left he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> I hit the wrong keyboard shortcut. So my channel is just Hans C. Nelson on YouTube. And I also had a great interview with Farzad that recently went live on uh, my YouTube channel as well. Uh, uh, tomorrow, I'm actually bringing Yashu on. Uh, we're going to have a conversation. It'll probably take a little while to get that edited and released. But uh, yeah, just awesome. the nice. idea behind the channel at this point in time is to spend time with YouTube and Twitter, like Tesla community members, kind of go behind the curtain, learn more about them and their story, what makes them who they are, and then hopefully try and glean some interesting insight from how they think and how they ended up where they are today. Excellent. Go check it out. Hans C. Nelson. Mimi, what's your YouTube channel? Everybody here has a YouTube channel. Come on. I know. I know. I'm thinking about starting one in Swedish. Actually, with That'd one of awesome. the guys who's mm -hmm. in the stream now. Yeah. Uh, mm, yeah. Yeah. Just do it. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I so encourage maybe. you. Maybe. That's what Farzad makes you do. you do. If you come on the community forum channel, Farzad forces you to create a YouTube channel. Yes. It's part of the contract. Yeah. It's part of the contract. <laughs> it's good because none of you would understand what's said there. So you can't. Uh, I'm still uh, going to like and subscribe. Me. It's fine. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, but to go, go back to, to this, uh, I think he sounds like an Irish uh, resistance movement. Uh, the president, uh, Sean Fain, he makes me think of Sinn Fein. He's, uh, he doesn't say the thing about the Jews, of course. That might very well be an underlying motive. But what he says is that people employed in EV related uh, factories should be paid. Uh, as much as the ones in ice-related factories. And I think that sounds pretty reasonable. Why should you pay $16.50 to guys working in a battery plant compared to $32 someone working in a car? Go ahead, Hans. If I'm management, it's because I am not making any money on that battery plant right now, and I need to reduce my costs on batteries as much as humanly possible while I'm trying not to bankrupt my company. I have a, di I have a different view. I think what's happening is that the auto workers listen to the same YouTube channels that we do, and they're concerned for their individual jobs. They're bitching at management, and this is the way management can kind of calm their fears and make it appear like they're looking out for their interests. That's my my take. Interesting. So so you you think these folks are actually they understand what's happening? As far as like I, they may not understand, but they have concerns that their jobs might be in jeopardy. Mm, yeah, that's reasonable. Of course they understand. Why wouldn't they? It's yeah. obvious. I mean, there is no turning back. I would there are also be say so that... many jobs disappearing. Sorry. Yeah, no, 100%. I, um, I agree with that. I think this also clearly explains the media blackout from the White House on anything related to Tesla. Like, not only are the UAW members scared about EVs in general, they certainly don't want to hear any mention of Tesla from the White House or any yeah any of the politicians they support because that is the direct threat. And yeah. at some point in time, Elon stopped talking badly about the White House too. He just stopped talking. And he's been back several times. I mean, he was back in the last couple of weeks for various things. But he's been there. 
So I presume that's kind of part of the deal. You, well, we're going to do it, but let's keep things on the QT because the White House doesn't want to be exposed to the UAW that they're selling them out. Yeah. And Elon doesn't need the endorsement of Biden. No. Do you think now what's very interesting that's happening in the auto sector in the U.S. is that this year is a, is a negotiation year for the UAW. Uh, and it seems like they are a lot of this rhetoric is obviously in preparation for those nego negotiations. Do you think there's a chance they strike based on this? What do you think? I think 100 mm. percent. I think that's their contract. They, they have to kind of this is it. If they think it's they're losing kind of a foothold, this will be the most leverage they're going to have. And I think the leverage is basically to shut down Ford and GM, shut them down, put the full pressure on. It doesn't really make a difference. You know, in, as turn the electric, they're both going to lose money in the electric side anyway. So it really doesn't make it's not going to curtail substantial production of electric vehicles because they're not mm -hmm. making them. Um, so I think they have to go to the mat and this will be their last chance. Farzad, have you read The Changing World Order by Ray I Dalio? I have the book. I haven't read it yet. Nope. Yeah, I, I think I have I, the book. Same. Yeah. It's so dense. Uh, so I haven't I haven't read all the way through it. I was just wondering if strikes were part of the data set that Ray uses to chart the cycle for populism or not. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. If anybody in the comments knows, it would be, would be great data set. Uh, I think Richard's point is, is really good. If I'm the U, if, if for some reason I'm the UAW boy, this this the year I'm striking, because the economy's slowing. You're not selling any pickup trucks, which is your profit maker. You're trying to shift to EVs and you're losing money like crazy. The last thing you want is to shut down your plants. The last thing you want, you what you're trying to do, <laughs> you're trying to crank out as much money as humanly possible before the potential inevitable death of your company. And oh no, and what do you think? I was just thinking if I'm like a very strategic political person and my ultimate strategy is to restrain supply so that I can maintain profit margins, I could have oh. my cake and eat it too and bitch and moan about these terrible unions while at the same time, oh, I don't have as many cars to sell and the price goes higher. But that means that all their all their factories closed, though. Like they won't be able to sell anything, right? That'd be pretty unpopular, yeah. especially in an election year. I would think. Be I don't think Biden would let him do that. Well, I mean, that's the other thing we have to we have to throw in the equation. We're talking about an election year, and mm -hmm. I don't know what you know. People are gonna obviously gonna change their behavior to get elected, at least for that time. So I don't know how many of things we're talking about are going to be modified just to kind of fit that time. Yes. Frame. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I do think that that changes a lot of the calculus this year. Mm. But what That's, can politicians uh, do about uh, the workers striking? They can force them into mediation. They can encourage behind they can, can encourage resolution behind doors. They can make offers. They can, you know, prospectively yeah. can make offers. There's ways they can be a factor. And I would think, you know, that's also why I wonder about recession talk. You know, it's going to be a presidential year. If we're in a recession in 2024, the Democrats have no chance. 
That's just the bottom line. Doesn't make a difference. Good, bad, and different. The economy Coming is from in a Democrat. recession. <laughs> yeah, well, the econ- if the economy is in recession, that party in power is not going to win. So I would expect the party in power to do whatever they could to enhance the economy for that year, which should kind of also help Tesla indirectly, I would think. People having more money in their pocket, spending more money. Um, so you're telling me QE next year? Yeah. Well, I, I think it'll correspond to the, like, the start of the interest rates declining, which will bolster, you know, every growth stock valuation just off the top. Um, yeah, but I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's set up. And, you know, I don't know if there's direct ties between the Fed and the existing government because they often kind of overlap administrations. But I can imagine that somebody from the White House might let somebody from the Fed know that they would prefer the economy be good in 2024. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure someone's having that conversation for sure. Yeah. For those that are not familiar with QE, so QE stands for quantitative easing, but it's also the way to think about it is uh, you've had the Federal Reserve. Yeah, just bring it back. Bring it all. Bring it all back. The Federal Reserve has been uh, increasing rates for the last, uh, what, nine months now? Almost a year, I guess. It's It's been a minute. And uh, it would just be reverting that because those higher interest rates, the fear is you're, you're sort of uh, kind of make the economy go in, in an opposite direction of where you want it to go in an election year. And Biden doesn't want to be in, a, in, a, in an economy that's bad. Otherwise, he won't be reelected. And- it's more than just interest rates, though. QE is so quantitative easing versus uh, yeah. QT, which is quantitative tightening. And so that's basically expanding or contracting the money supply. You can think when the government is buying bonds that are in the market, they're putting more money into the market than existed before. And then when they're selling bonds into the market, they're taking money out of the system. And so they're reducing the overall number of dollars that are in the system. So right now we're in quantitative tightening and historically quantitative tightening is tightly correlated with stocks go down. So when the money printer goes burr, stonks go back up. When the money printer reverses, then stonks go back down. And I would bet I would bet you if you examine like when interest rates started climbing and Tesla's stock price compared to where it is today, we're probably off like 60, 70 percent. And I remember like the analysts speaking, they talked about the impact that interest rates would have. And it was hard to kind of understand it until it happened, but it was really a dramatic impact on growth stocks yeah significant i mean if you can have if you can park your money somewhere for five six seven percent with zero risk of uh, of uh, return and you just if you have 10 million dollars and you make seven percent my god that's that's uh what is that uh seven percent is se- what what is that 10 10 million uh seven hundred thousand right so did i do that right yeah Seven hundred thousand a year, bro. That's insane. Thank that's you. a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So crazy. Um, any last topics before we do Q and A? Any thoughts? Where are we boring, at? boring tunnel in Vegas got extended. They added like uh, twenty nine, I think, stops off the strip. Awesome. So it's been a, it's been approved, and you know, that's again. I think that's probably FSD where it's going to happen. My opinion. Vegas is going to be where they're going to start uh, using it. Um, and the boring tunnel seems to me like it's, it's a good addition to that because you could certainly run it FSD in a boring tunnel, I would think. 
It's a set <laughs> route. Hopefully. Yeah, a set route. If it doesn't work here, yeah. we're in trouble, right? Yeah. They better. They better. Great. That's great news. Anything else before Q&A? Going once, going twice. Tequila. All right, everybody. Here we go. So drop your comments in the comment section below. Uh, your questions. Make sure you write question right before your question so that the lovely producer wife can bring them up uh, and it's easy for her to go through. Hacking Hollywood has become a YouTube member. Thank you so much for supporting the channel, Hacking Hollywood. Look at that. We got Dark Brandon. Outsider Reviews. Thank you so much for becoming a YouTube member. Do you member. know who Hacking Hollywood um, is? No. Who is that? That's Noah. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's a sick name. Hacking Hollywood. That's awesome. Yep. Well, Noah, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your support. Uh, <laughs> Hilarious. You should just wear those sunglasses all the time, Richard. You look amazing. Just, just a beautiful man. Um, with uh, the folks that signed up for the uh, for the YouTube channel, they'll have access to our member-only stream, which will start right after this uh, live stream is over. Uh, and then half of the proceeds from this uh, live stream go into our community fund, where our community decides what to do with that money. And it's, it's a pretty uh, awesome thing. We are discussing ice cream flavors right now. I'm kidding. <laughs> and then you'll also gain access to our private Discord. I'm not going to drop that ice cream joke, by the way. I'm really sorry, everybody. So, <laughs> all right. Let's go ahead and uh, bring up the first question, and then uh, we'll get started. First question, Dominic Rabello, a question. Won't Tesla start financing all their cards globally when Elon finishes the Twitter Everything PayPal app and people will be able to buy a card maybe with insurance and maybe using Dogecoin? How do you guys think about that? Any thoughts? Who wants to take this one? I know at least one other person who thinks that. <laughs> Any thoughts? Um, yeah, I think it's it. It makes too much sense. I don't. It, either they'll do it internally with Tesla, or they'll do it through Twitter, or there'll be a partnership. But something that resembles that will definitely be a like high likelihood of happening. I think they'll uh, finance cars globally before that. And yeah. I don't about the Dogecoin. I don't know. Everything else, I agree. Yeah, maybe. Would that mean that you have to become a member of Twitter to be able to buy a car to get financing? <laughs> Eight dollars, please. I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm not a member. I'm not paying Twitter. How about if they give you a uh, discount? How about if they give you like a five percent discount if you join Twitter? A five percent on the car. Yeah, I guess I would pay for those $8. That would that yeah. would be okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm subscribing to Alexandra. That's my only... Because she it's only nine Swedish kroner. Uh, one dollar. So, yeah. <laughs> Less than one dollar if you look at the... Well, I think... Uh, well, the Dogecoin is completely uninteresting to me. Uh, so, but... Yes. I guess so. But I mean, I'm not. I'm not totally crazy about this X app. I don't see why we want one app to do all these things, to have all this information about us. I don't understand mm. why people want that. I think. I think the finance aspect of it is going to be by far the biggest thing. I think the the everything portion of it. The more I think about it, will be like, you know, there will be some call it killer apps that X will be able to offer. You know, Twitter being probably one of them, which is going to be the media sort of content creation arm. Then you have the finance arm, 
where they're going to have like Richard described is like, hey, if you want to buy a car, sign up for X and we'll give you uh, the best rates and the best monthly payment. And you'll also have access to all, all this other stuff. I think it's just going to be prioritized which ones are great, you know, um, and it will take some time to sort of um, uh, transform over time. But I, I, your, your concern is legitimate. I mean, but but mm -hmm. then my, my pushback would be Google does that today. Google has yeah. that now. Yeah, I saw yeah. that GM, GM is doing subscriptions on Twitter. They're charging minus four cents. Ooh, so I can earn some money there? <laughs> <laughs> it's with their, it's it's paired with their uh, Bolt discontinuation program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring back your Bolt, though, you'll, you'll get paid to go on their Twitter. But I don't know, this how is how is, how is banking today in the States with apps and stuff like that? I mean, do I mean, all they're all feeling, so I don't know. <laughs> because I, I think that in Sweden, in Sweden, everybody has an internet bank. It works really great, and we have something to call, called Switch. So if I want to send you money, I just do it uh, to your cell phone with your number, telephone number, and it's super easy, and it works really yeah. well. So there is really no no space for – there's no need for anything else. All, yeah. the, all the major banks are internet banks too. So I, I have a Chase Bank mm -hmm. account and I do it on my phone. But I also have like a SoFi account, which is an internet bank purely. And there's an that app is fantastic. The company, the, liber yeah. the libertarian part of me definitely agrees with Mimi. Like this is part of the way that the social credit system got enacted in China. And just because, yeah, we would never do that here right now i don't know if i can say that i believe that we won't do that at some point even here in the united states so um that part of me is a little bit nervous and like i know that elon has thought about those things but i don't know that i trust them even in his hands all you need is a change in generation you know you have new generations that come that don't have the same experience haven't been trained or impacted the same way and what is normal for us would be not for them. If I mean, only there own. was this historical experience with people electing yes. like one yes. really powerful person and then <laughs> them and their posterity just going down the toilet and the cycle of society <laughs> continuing to evolve. Yeah. I, I wonder yeah. what we could learn from such experiences. <laughs> if we remember them, we can learn. Yes. Yeah. History only helps those that remember it. But we have very it's short fun. memories. Yeah, it's very true. Alex Kimmerly, another uh, uh, member of the channel. Thank you so much for your support, Alex. Question. Would management at Legacy Auto settle a strike or would they let it run for months? Use a strike instead of a factory shutdown to reduce their inventory levels. That's That's been some of the hypothesis around why... Uh, legacy automakers are having such high inventory levels, especially for pickup trucks, is because they're preparing for something like this theoretically. How are you guys thinking about this? I think the negative is that they can't go forward in terms of their EV side. So that gap that grows because they're not manufacturing, they're not moving forward, they're just kind of sitting there, which goes again every time we, well, not a lot. But a lot of times we go back to that graph, that dead spot where there's not a pr enough production of EVs. And every time I see something like that, that's what occurs to me. Yeah. Any other uh, any other thoughts around this one? Yeah, I'll just say that we, we did discuss this during the um, discussion earlier. So I wouldn't say that 
my ideas have changed. It's definitely possible. Like I, I wouldn't put it past them to think along those lines, say yeah. one thing while enjoying something else. If there's one thing legacy automakers are really good at, and I've sort of been learning this as I've been reading their quarterly earnings and listening to their earnings call, is that they're very good bullshit artists. They're phenomenal bullshit artists. Most corporations are, you know? So uh, don't put it past them. Yeah. And would they would they blame Tesla for decreasing? Maybe, maybe what happened? Did a bomb go off? What happened? Happened? Where'd you go? <laughs> Did she just fall out of her building? Is that what happened? <laughs> My goodness, she's back. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to increase the my light here. I turned all yellow. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, would they it, would they blame Tesla for cutting costs so much to make all the cars uh, that nobody could sell enough cars for profit, and that and ultimately shut them down, and that's their fault. It's Tesla's of fault. Of course, they yeah. always blame Tesla for everything. So. I mean, it's funny because you're kind of already hearing that verbiage, right? We don't want to. It's a race to the bottom. It's a race to the bottom. But gee, I wonder who's the automaker who's doing cutting the costs because they can't. It's, it's fascinating that we're already hearing that. Already, we're only three months in, and we're already hearing that. It, which, which is a signal to me that says this is a legitimate concern for these automakers. They might not be saying it, but it's a legitimate concern because it will impact their ability to be profitable long term. My opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next question. And Gino, another uh, channel member. Thank you so much, Gino, for your support. Question, what happens to unions when EV jobs require different skill sets and less humans? Absolutely. We. This is a, another thing that we briefly discussed during the, during the topic, but this is, this is really the biggest um, challenge that legacy automakers and the UAW are going to have uh, uh, partnering through this transition is that because EVs require way less labor and way less parts, it implies less less uh, less people working there, which means less dues, which uh, are going to be... Yeah, it's, it's just a weird spot. Did you guys have anything else to add to this? I was going to say now, as opposed to not doing this, the unions are going to have to... Like one of their main uh, goals and aspects is going to be providing training to their members so that they could yes. learn new jobs, and go into new industries. And if they embrace that, if the unions embrace that, they will gain popularity because they will be doing something really functional. Because generally, other than the uh, the example that Mimi was talking about, the like the hourly wage decrease, generally there is not those kind of issues. It, they're more like living issues and improving those. So if they come forward and basically guarantee somebody a new job by placing them into a new area that requires that labor, the unions will gain prestige in the United States. That's true. That's a good point. Any other I was going to say that the inevitable thing to happen here is definitely conflict. It'll be both conflict inside the UAW and then the UAW creating conflict outside to like, you know, what's better to help ease the tension inside the UAW than declaring someone outside the UAW as the enemy and going on a massive campaign war. So yeah, I think that conflict in turmoil is inevitably what happens from the situation. When do you is know the, any, sorry, go ahead, please. Do you know any numbers? I mean, if we compare an ice factory to an EV, how many more people are needed for an ice factory? That produces the same amount of cars. 
rough number that I heard from a while ago. I haven't double checked this somewhere between 20 to 30 percent more people. Yeah. I, I, with current with current platforms, right? But it's it's skewed because most ice manufacturers have mass market uh, uh, cars that, like a Toyota, for example, uh, sells in the millions of vehicles per yeah. year. GM sells in the millions, Ford sells in the millions, right? Uh, but with uh, like the only prominent uh, mass market EV manufacturer is Tesla, and they still haven't implemented their affordable mass market, truly mass market millions per year vehicle in the compact. So th those numbers will probably skew even further, probably like 30 to 40% if I were to guess by the time we're all said and done. Um, all right, next question. And tequila, Tony De Vera. Question, how far can Tesla flex on supercharger fees, uh, i.e. higher rates or slower charging speeds for non-Teslas before significant risk of antitrust comes up, 10%, 20%? Uh, knowing Tesla's DNA, I don't think they would ever do this. I think I think they would be fair to everybody. They might, um, I don't know, maybe they'll charge a little bit extra for everybody else. But I, I don't know. How do you guys think they about do. this? Do they, they, do, do. they do that already? Yeah. Okay. You can pay a monthly fee and then you get the same price. You, um, or if you don't, you pay a little bit more. Okay. So don't listen to me. <laughs> Any, anybody else have any thoughts on this? I think as long as they're charging less than Apple's 30% tax, they're probably okay. Mm. I And I believe that they probably have the okay of the White House, and that's why they opened up the chargers uh, covertly. I think that's one of the reasons, and uh, I think it's understood they would charge more. Uh, if there were no other charging networks, then that would be a different issue. I know They may be crappier, but there are several other charging networks that I'm sure are going to expand and people will have the opportunity to go to those if they so choose. And I would think that would kind of cut the teeth out of an antitrust claim. Are we sure there's going to be other charging networks in the States? There already are. Yeah, but like that, that works. It's crappy. It's yeah. crappy, but they exist. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, okay. I'll take your word for I, it. Why are they so <laughs> crappy? They don't have sufficient numbers. The equipment isn't as good. The software yeah. isn't as good. Not um, a lot of profit. Yeah, not a lot of profit. It's tough. Mostly business. because they're primarily backed by legacy auto companies who suck at building anything related to EVs. That's why they suck. Plus, yeah. a lot of them were startups, and so they had no capital, and they had to raise capital. And then they the stock market dumped, and they couldn't raise any more capital. So it's a tough financial position for them. Yeah, the the right incentives are in place for them to actually do like a legitimately great uh, charging infrastructure. Unfortunately, um, next one and outsider reviews. Thank you again for your support, man. Question: I liked how you pointed out that Ford didn't raise their guidance for the next quarter. Is that then being realistic? Should more OEM adjust their guidance given the current economic times? That's a fascinating question. The like a really really good question. The, the thing that what I saw from GM and Ford, at least, was that they were actually guiding to slightly higher profits in 2023 versus 2022. Now, I do recall that 2022 had some COVID uh, still. What, what the automakers were claiming a lot of COVID uh, difficulties around the supply chain and stuff like that. Uh, I think, and this is what my gut is telling me, I think that the automakers are waiting. My opinion, this is pure speculation, but I think automakers... Given the current economic 
climate and where the rates are now and all the data that's coming out of dealerships that are saying inventory is not moving for the most profitable cars, which is the pickup truck. I think uh, they're waiting to see who's the first one that's going to come out and lower because you don't want to be the first one that lowers guidance. That's going to hurt your stock the most, in my opinion. So it might just be a waiting game. Uh, Ford's waiting for GM. GM's waiting for Stellantis. Stellantis is waiting for both of them. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how what, what happens. Any thoughts there? This is such a good question. What do you guys think? Uh-oh. Well, I was going to say it, it could be what we were talking about earlier. They're setting expectations low. And when their next quarters come out, they beat, they beat their stock goes up and uh, everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. Hans? I don't know. I, I don't really pay close enough attention to what Ford's got going on, honestly, to have any meaningful opinion. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're curious to see how Q2, uh, what Q2 says. The, the biggest complication with Ford is that they have 80, 90, 100 days on hand supply of their most popular trucks at dealers. And uh, I just don't know where you put them, right? Where do you put them? So mm -hmm. yeah. well, their, their biggest problem is not the supply. It's just the dealers. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. The price and, the and for the consumer, that's all mm -hmm. like excess money that shouldn't be spent. Yeah. But but here's where I'm at. This is where I'm having a lot of problem understanding how this isn't like a cataclysmic wow. event. Okay. So the the dealers bought a bunch of inventory in the last uh, year or so that's filling up their uh, uh, dealership lots on loans primarily that are now those cars are significantly below market value because of the cratering of prices for new cars. Who funds the gap? Like where does the gap go? I bought it for a hundred thousand. It now cost. It now it's going to be sold for seventy. I'm going to lose it. I'll set it for a loss of of thirty thousand. Essentially, who covers that gap? There was yeah. a spot in that calculator that you had earlier for that gap. It, like, are you rolling over a loss from your previous vehicle into your new car loan? And so, if you're underwater, you literally have to finance that into your next purchase. And so, you have to find a car that's cheaper because you have to carry the fact that you're underwater. And With so, higher interest you know, rates. Yep, it's further just destroying purchasing power of the consumer in the auto this, market. Yeah, in China, what happened was dealerships are going out of business. In the United States, what will happen is dealerships will go out of business. It'll end up that gap, whatever that money is, it'll end up flowing through a bankruptcy court is what's going to happen. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And the default rates will go up. Uh, it's going to wipe out more people who own that debt. What I was realizing as we we're having this conversation is that Tesla is literally the Boston Tea Party moment of the car dealership tax on the American auto buyer. Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. That's fascinating, eh? Simply, simply because how they chose to sell to the consumer, given that the consumer, I've, I have yet to meet one person. I was on Car Edges uh, with Ray and Zach. Uh, what was it yesterday or two days ago? Uh, I think it was yesterday. Phenomenal guys, go check them out, Ray and Zach. Uh, and they cover the 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 legacy auto primarily, especially from a dealership side. They really want to help buyers get the best possible dealer, 
deal at, at dealers. I have yet to meet one person in my life that actually enjoys the dealership experience. I think dealerships are universally hated by everybody, by absolutely everybody. Um, I love it. Really? I did such a good, I made such a good deal on my car. <laughs> oh, because you love the haggling. That's why. <laughs> I, I prefer going to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> seriously. So it's that that's that's a fascinating thing. I and I wonder. Let me let me just tell an anecdotal story about my friend that uh, ended up buying a, a Model Y. Uh, he came down to visit me from Canada. He was looking at the Kia uh, Nero EV. He was looking at other uh, EVs as well. He was going to go in and buy the Kia Nero EV in Canada, and then the dealer is like, "Well, there is this six hundred dollar uh, connectivity fee that is non negotiable," and he literally said screw you i'm walking out and he walked out and then he ended up buying a tesla model y and i wonder how how common that type of uh thing will be with electric vehicles over time especially in the united states and countries where the dealership lobbies are so strong well don't you think though that like the when ford spins off its ev uh division so it's as separate functioning company and when gm does the same thing don't you think those will not be dealership models anymore? Those will be it like can't a be. Tesla model. Has to be. Uh, well, I, I think that Ford already started that deal, and they Ford like if you wanted to be a Ford dealer who carries Ford EVs, you had to pay them a bunch of extra money and sign up for all this yeah. stuff. And so I think they basically have already started to lock themselves into continuing down the dealership model with their EV brand, which I cannot imagine anything stupider yeah yeah it's going to be a, a weird situation for for ford specifically i think i think i heard a story where um i have yet to watch the podcast but there was a gentleman that owns a bunch of dealers uh and he decided not to buy, sell ford anymore because ford said that hey we're gonna kind of go around the dealers for the evs and he's like well screw you i'm not gonna even take ford i'm not gonna say even sell your ice cars which are the ones that that <laughs> make you money <laughs> so it's like <laughs> but again props to ford for trying to do the right thing but this is the problem is that they're so entrenched the innovators dilemma right they're so entrenched that once you start making innovative moves you fail because you can't you literally can't yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine having the UAW and the car dealership network in my cookie jar and trying to not die in the next 10 years. With, with high interest rates, throw that in too. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Well, with all that doom and gloom, let's end it. Thank you so much for watching uh, our uh, live stream on Fridays. We do this every week with community members, not legal advice. Hans and Mimi are all community members that support the channel. If you'd like to do the same as well, you can click on join right below this video, or you can do it on Twitter as well by subscribing. You get access to our private Discord. You get uh, access to our member-only discussions that happen right after this one every single week. And then you will also be able to decide where we put half the funds from our community forums that happen every Friday, uh, where the community decides what to do with those funds. So thank you very much for watching, Richard, Hans, Mimi. Thank you all so much as always. And we'll see you on the members only 